The world of construction is transforming before our eyes. How we design, plan, quantify and build is changing day to day. But it's never been so easy to connect, share and bring people together. Our industry is reshaping. So how do we develop relationships? How do we overcome our fears? How do we generate business? And how do we ultimately become the best version of ourselves? This is Measured, I'm McDonaghy, and my guest today is... On this episode of Measured, we are joined by Joe Fusca. Joe is the Managing Director of Graphite Projects. Graphite Projects are a leading fit-out contractor throughout Australia. They specialize within a variety of different sectors, including high-end luxury fit-outs, tertiary education, and health and science. This was an amazing conversation with Joe. I just absolutely loved chatting to the man and finding out more about his experience, where he entered the construction industry in his early 30s and worked his, his way up from a labor to to one of the leading state management positions in, in one of the, the largest fit-out contractors in Australia. Joe goes on to discuss starting his own business, getting his own clients, working on amazing projects throughout the sector, and, and a variety of other things. So this was a, a really enjoyable episode. Um, it was just a totally honest and frank conversation. And if anyone out there is currently considering changing industries or, or, or doing something a little different. Uh, I think Joe is, is a shining hope for industry and you can get a lot of different inspiration from him within this episode. So I really hope you enjoy the, this episode with Joe Fusca. Without further ado, I hope you enjoyed the episode. The first question that, that we always ask our, our guests is, how do you measure success, Joe? Okay, well, I guess at uh, my stage of life, mate, the uh, blood pressure is 120 over 60. <laughs> <laughs> Resting heart rate's about 65. Cholesterol's 4.6. Uh, <laughs> in other words, you know, I'm healthy, which is, I guess, the first and most important thing. But uh, that aside, obviously, happy and healthy family, business is going well, uh, happy crew. Mm-hmm. and happy clients, you know, and, and repeat business. And I think that's what success is all about for me right now. I love that answer, Joe. My old man, he had a, he had a health scare three, four years ago where he had a heart attack and he's in his, his, his mid-60s. He's based back in Ireland over the last year, lost something like 20 kilos. He's, he's changed his life. He just goes out walking for an hour every day. He's yes. so healthy, so fit. And, and that's what he says. You know, as long as, you're, as, long as you're, you've got your health, you've, you've got everything. Absolutely, mate. Look, I go, without going into detail because it would be a separate podcast, <laughs> um, I, I got a, tap, a couple of taps on, on the shoulders a few years ago and it gives you a different perspective on life. But, uh, yeah, look, right now, uh, happy happy crew, happy business, healthy for me, that's success, yeah. Great. Well, I love that. So I want to go back to, to the start of, of your career. Obviously, we, we spoke a little bit briefly off the, off the podcast, Joe, about you didn't you know, starting in construction until sort of later on in your life. What were you doing, you know, the, the sort of the, the early stages uh, of your life then? I'm a bit of an, an imposter into the building game, to be honest with you. I, I left school at 16, took an apprenticeship with Qantas, mm-hmm. the airline, as, a, as an aircraft maintenance engineer apprenticeship. Great. It was fantastic, but I, I always loved mechanical things growing up. I was actually... I wanted to be a motor mechanic because I loved cars. Yeah. Um, and but then uh, heard about Qantas and their apprenticeship scheme. Applied for it. Was uh, was very lucky to get in. It was an amazing experience. So mm-hmm. spent fifteen years there. It was the real f- formative years of my working career. To be honest with you. Yeah. Uh, le- learned a lot, not just about aircraft and and jet engines, which was was the area that I, I sort of specialised in. But, yeah, Qantas was a great training ground, supervisor training courses, career development. And by the time I left there at, uh, you know, I was 31, I think, um, it was a really good background to have. Absolutely. Going back then a, a, a little bit with that, so 
what was the main driver for you to to want to get into um the aviation industry did, did you were you the type of person who grew up playing with you know little toy toy <laughs> planes or, or what or how did you get into it no look uh, interestingly sort of came a little bit left field I, I always loved mechanical things so i grew up playing with engines building um, mini bikes riding around on mini bikes we had uh, about an acre and a quarter property back then and the neighbors had a similar so between us and the neighbors kids we cleared it we cleared a track we used to ride mini bikes around so nice. when they broke down we'd fix them my two cousins were both motor mechanics and i would spend time with them fixing cars doing up cars so i just wanted to do something mechanical mm-hmm. and then one of my closest mates at school who's still one of my closest mates today, said, oh, listen, you know, Qantas, blah, blah, blah. And I thought, oh, yeah, that that sounds good. So, you know, once again, applied and got into the apprenticeship stream, loved, loved everything about it. Yeah. The, the training was amazing. There was one, one year full-time at the Qantas Training College and where you learned everything uh, that you could possibly want to know about the mechanical trades, fitting and machining, welding, basic electrical, air conditioning, hydraulics. And then obviously after that full-time 12-month course, there was two further years at, at uh, Technical College mm-hmm. and loved everything about it. I just It was a sort of job, Mick, that I couldn't wait to get there in the morning. Yeah. And uh, I was never in a hurry to, to leave to come home. That's, that's, uh, that's, that's, that's paradise when it comes to, to having a job. Mate, and, and it was like that for 15 years. Yeah, it was. Uh, I, I loved it. It was a very hard, very hard decision for me to leave. Actually, yeah, because I'd, I'd I'd done really well there. I'd been sent overseas on a few training programs. I'd been promoted a few times. The future looked pretty rosy there as well. Yeah, but uh, I'd made some commitments elsewhere, and I I followed them through. I always believe that one of the the best things that you can do is have a a trade, no no matter what 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 background you're you're coming from, you know, and it can lead into so many different different avenues like obviously you, you've started in the the, the mechanical and, and within the av- aviation industry now you're in fit out of high-end um projects all, all throughout throughout sydney and australia so like, that, that's the thing when you have a trade you can go many different ways yeah and, and i left uh, without sort of happy on it too much the the aircraft maintenance engineering trade course gave us a, a lot of it was a very broad trade. It wasn't just mechanical. Mm-hmm. Now, so we learned electrical, we learned air conditioning systems, hydraulic systems, yep. structural systems, a, a really good general trade background across a lot of disciplines. Yeah. So then when I finally got into construction, reading drawings was, was pretty easy because if yeah. you can read an aircraft drawing and specification, you can pretty much read most drawings, to, to be honest with you, or, or, or work your way through them. Yeah. So it was a good general knowledge to have, yeah. And so did you grow, grow up in, in Sydney or, or part of New South Wales, or what, what was your early early yeah. life like? Yeah, look, mum and dad, uh, Italian immigrants, mm-hmm. uh, came out in, in 1951. Mm-hmm. Back then, North Ride, which is an area about 15 k's west of the Sydney CBD was very much semi-rural mm-hmm. market gardens, yeah, and and, and quite an Italian enclave. But Dad had three sisters that lived in the area. They all had farms. Yeah, uh, one of them had a pig farm. Another one used to grow fruit and veg, take it to the markets, and we grew up, uh, I guess, in that environment. Then by the the mid sixties, the developers started coming through and buying up. These properties, a lot of uh, the owners you know, became pretty wealthy overnight. Unfortunately, my parents weren't one of them, but my, <laughs> my cousins were. Yeah. Um, but it was very much a close-knit Italian community. I went to the local public school. I actually went to a Catholic school for the first four five years and then moved into the state school system mm-hmm. and then into the state high school system as well. So it's very much a, a working-class background. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, all the way through. I always appreciate that. I obviously um, relocated from from Ireland, so you know, having that sort of um, 
history, you know, where, where your family have have made that move and and take, taking that risk. You know, I, I just I love hearing hearing about that. There's so much to it. You know, you think of back in the the, the 50s, it would have been to go to Australia from from Italy, probably speak speaking a different language and everything would have been would have been amazing. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was uh, some of the stories that you hear back then, and, and mum and dad are no longer with with us. Uh, mm-hmm. My mum passed away last year, but I used to sit down with her, and you don't think to do this when you're younger, but as she was getting on a bit and her health wasn't that great, I used to sit with her and just uh, just ask her about the early days, just to get an appreciation. Yeah, and uh, and yeah, they did it pretty tough. Yeah, but uh, we always had food on the table. Uh, it was it. a happy, it was a happy family life. They Brilliant. brought us up, sent us to school, well fed, well dressed. Uh, tried to teach us manners and discipline and, and, yep. and everything that went with that. So, yeah, it uh, it was a overall. I think it was a pretty good upbringing. That's yeah. that, that's great. So obviously, um, all this, uh, this the start of your career, getting into your early thirties. Now you're making the you make the move into construction. What was that like making that move from the engineering? industry to construction then well actually there was a step in between i'll be honest with you what had happened is that while i was at Qantas, i, I kind of got to the point where i for a little while there i wasn't sure where my career was going to go there was a pretty young crew and i couldn't see at one point uh, a future there so i invested with my two cousins that i mentioned earlier into a automotive wrecking yard mm-hmm. and mechanical repair workshop but it had a four-year lease on the property, so I had to keep working at Qantas mm-hmm. while we uh, honoured the lease. A funny thing happened in that four years. New management came in, and all of a sudden, I was the I was the blue-eyed boy, and, and I got sent off overseas for training programs and promoted a few times and all that sort of stuff. So when the time came to leave and, and take over the wrecking yard, it was a bloody tough decision, but I guess you fork in the road. And you decide which fork you take. So we set up a wrecking yard. And once again, an automotive workshop. I had my motor mechanics ticket endorsed and we we're fixing cars and wrecking them. Yeah. Um, so I did that for five years. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, a good mate of mine from my earlier years had phoned me up. And it was at that point in time that partnership in the wrecking yard wasn't going that great. And uh, I decided to sell up my stake. Mm-hmm. And this mate of mine, who's now my business partner, had just started with a fit-out company called Isis, mm-hmm. who, are now, who are now Shape. Yep. And he was the site manager with them. I'd sold my business and he said, mate, phone me up and said, oh, can, come and give me a hand. I said, well, doing what? <laughs> he goes, oh, just doing a bit of labouring. Mm. And I said, oh, no, look, thanks anyway, mate. I said, oh, oh I'm good. Anyway, three days in a row. He called me. He was getting a little bit desperate. He wanted a hand. Mm-hmm. So I said, yeah, yeah, all right, mate. So he picked me up at 7 in the morning. I got home at 11 o'clock that night. It was handover week on a, on a project. And, yeah, I was laboring, mate. I was just tidying up, cleaning up after the trades, mm-hmm. uh, getting rid of rubbish, cleaning up the floors, doing whatever. But I kind of, I kind of really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. There was no stress, no drama. So then... That job finished, and all of a sudden there's another job and another job, and I thought, well, look, I'll, I might as well do this for a little while. The, mm. the, the money was good, and I was enjoying it. And meanwhile, I'll I'll get my CV out in the marketplace and and see what comes up. I couldn't go back to Qantas, and I didn't really want to. I didn't want to go swinging spanners in, for somebody else in a mechanical workshop. Mm-hmm. So I was looking maybe getting a job in sales or or something like that, you know. Mm-hmm. But nobody wanted to know me, to be honest yeah. with you. And this went on for about six months. And in the end, I got a phone call off a guy I knew whose father was retiring from a workshop they had. He said, look, why don't you come and work with me? I said, yeah, why not? So I approached my my boss at the time, who was one of the owners of, of the business. I mean, back then, ISIS was probably a dozen maybe 15 people strong in Sydney. That's how small it was back then. Yeah. And I said, oh, look, mate, I said, I'm, I'm going to finish up at Christmas. He goes, oh, but, mate, I thought you enjoyed it here. I said, yeah, I, I do, but, you know, like, I don't want to sort of be labouring for the rest of my life sort of thing. And 
he goes, oh, well, look, we were going to give you a start looking after some of our sites because what had happened in that, in that six months period, every time a site manager would go on on leave for a week mm-hmm. or two, I'd, I'd swing over there and look after the site. I said, oh, okay, then we'll, yeah, yeah I'll give that a go. So yeah. I stayed and I started looking after small jobs and then from smaller jobs they got to bigger jobs and and then I, I really started to enjoy it a lot. Yeah, and then I took myself off and did some training courses and mm-hmm. and the like, and so it's just started to progress through the company that way. So that, that that's all about really just taking an opportunity when it com- comes along. That that that's what I'm sort of ga- gauging from that. You know, there was kind of there wasn't a structured plan in place to sort of say I'm going to go after this, I'm going to go after this, but the opportunity you were obviously doing a, a, a good enough job where they wanted to keep you there, and and, and you kept. Go on with the opportunity then, Joe? Yeah, yeah. Look, it was, it was something new. I was learning new things all the time. So <laughs> when you're learning new things all the time and you make the best of it, and, uh, and I was really enjoying that. So I looked at what the site managers were doing. Going back to our earlier discussion at Qantas, there was a whole lot of transferable skills you bring with you mm, yeah, no matter right. what industry you're in. So if you learn some basic management skills, some basic organisational skills, then you can pretty much take that most places. I mean, at the, at the end of the day, I, I was I was looking after a workshop about 35, 40 staff back at Qantas. Each of these engines were back then worth worth about six or seven million bucks. Yeah. And we might have had 10 in, in in there at any one time. You were organizing manpower, you're organizing materials, you're organizing all sorts of stuff. So what needs to happen? Yeah. When does it need to happen? Who who needs to do it? Organize it. You know, I mean, it's not rocket science, really, what we do. So that's what we did. You know, and you sort of sit down at the end of the day and go with the site manager at the time and go, okay, what's happening tomorrow? Who's mm-hmm. doing it? Who do we need to organize? What do they need to do? What impact does that have on other people? Mm-hmm. And then you start making phone calls and organize the next day and then and the following week. And it's basic basic programming, really. Yeah. So it wasn't it wasn't hard. The hardest part was the technical stuff, and once again, with some basic knowledge that I'd had on on most systems and stuff, and and being open to asking the experts who are the subcontractors anyway. Yep. Um, and if you speak to them right, they'll tell you everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, things happen. That's 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 great. I love I love that story. So many so many people. Nowadays, uh, want advice, you know, for for transferring industries, you, you know, especially over the last eighteen months, where COVID has presented that fork in the road opportunity, as as you mentioned earlier. Should I continue on with this, or should I try something new? So it's it's great just to hear your 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 feedback on that on that, Joe. Yeah, thanks, Matt. Look, I think the hardest thing is getting someone to give you a go. Yeah, that's it. If if, if you really looked at it. Here's a guy who's an aircraft mechanic, worked as a motor mechanic, had a wrecking yard. Now he, he wants to be a builder, like in yeah. a break. You can't be serious. And in fact, that, that was um, <laughs> back in the early days when the, at ISIS, where the, the actual owners of the business were running the business and actively working as project managers. One of the lines was um, one of the other owners said to the guy who was making me a site manager, what, what would he know? He's just a mechanic, you know, and that was the mindset and, and even sort of progressing through the site management role, eventually into a project management role. It was like, well, we can't make him a project manager. He hasn't got the credentials. Mm-hmm. He hasn't got a degree in construction management or building. Like, No, so it, it was a long time there where I was, I wasn't given the title as project manager. I was... Mm-hmm. Uh, something else doing a project manager's role finally from some external pressure for some clients i i ended up getting the project manager role but it wasn't it wasn't an internal sort of push it was almost forced upon them i guess yeah i think that 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 it's it's a bit of um like a lot of organizations are like that you know you have to have a certain qualification or we can't call you this just dealt with a person there yesterday who who has been working as a as a contracts administrator for the last four or five years and has been called 
you know, like it's site admin basically, you know, and, and it is, it is difficult, yeah. but you've, sometimes you've just got to, got to stick in there and, and, you know, and add a little bit of pressure. Sometimes use a bit of leverage if you can. You've got to take it. You can't wait for it to be given to you sometimes. Like uh, one of the things I, I did very early stages, I, I wanted to learn about Microsoft project mm-hmm. uh, back in early nineties. It was still fairly new. And I thought, well, I looked up a course at Sydney Uni, weekend course, and I went to my manager and I said, oh, look, I want to go and do this course. It's 400 bucks. Mm-hmm. And he goes, no, you don't need to do that. I said, but look, I, I, I want to do it. Yep. And he goes, well, you don't really need to. And I said, oh, okay, well, I'll, I'll pay for it myself, right? So I went off and did it anyway. And then I went back about a month later and I, I, I did the advanced course. Mm-hmm. I've probably forgotten most of it now. That's another story. But then all of a sudden I, I'm going into the office and I'm writing programs for our projects, you know, we're updating programs for our projects. And he walked past one day and said, oh, what's that? And I said, that's the program I've just done for, for this project. And he goes, oh, and he picked it up. I said, that's, that's the course you wouldn't pay for, mate, you know. And uh, he had a bit of a chuckle and he said, yeah, right. I mean, I could have sat back and said, well, they're not going to pay for that course. I'm not going to do it. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you just got to back yourself and, and say, well, I'm doing it for me. Yep. And uh, I'll, I'll do it anyway. That's the way I've always fought, fought Joe as well. Like I've always thought if I can learn this and if I have to pay for it now, but I get a promotion, the, more, the money I get through the promotion is going to pay for it. 100%. You know? 100%. And, and, and look, a, a little bit later on, I, I went off and, and there was another course at Macquarie Uni. It was uh, called Finance for the Non-Finance Manager or Accounting for the Non-Finance Manager. And it was a 12-week course. And once again, uh, I didn't really need it, but mm-hmm. I wanted to learn about it because I didn't know. So I went off and did it at nights for three months, and uh, and at the end of it, it gave me the uh, I guess the taste of it, and, and I went off and signed up for a, a post a graduate diploma in management at the Graduate School of Management. Mm-hmm. Finished that off, I couldn't get into the master's program because I didn't have a first degree. Yeah. So I did the postgrad diploma first, and then got accepted into the master's program, and I did that. And it just so happened that whilst I was doing that. The new state manager at, at ISIS, guy I'd worked with for, for quite a few years, he was doing an MBA there at, at the same time. So we actually sat in a couple of units together. And I don't think that did me any harm because they could see that, look, I was willing to invest in myself and mm-hmm. I was learning all these new skills. So I thought, well, if we don't give this guy a go, he's going to go and get it somewhere else. Yeah. So, yeah, don't wait for someone to... Give it to you. You got to, sometimes you got to take it. Uh, absolutely. Um, so I'm sensing a, a life of learning must be one of your your mindsets. Then you always seem to be continuously learning. Yeah. Look, I was the funny thing was, you know, I, I didn't have a first degree, right? And not that I regretted it, but it was also something that was, I guess, lacking. Yeah. And I thought, well, am I good enough? Can I do this? You know, I wanted to learn stuff. Interestingly, before I'd left Qantas, I'd, I'd been called upstairs to the engineering overhaul manager and he said, look, um, Joe, we're, we're identifying future leaders in the business and you'll get to a certain point, but you don't have a degree. We're going to sponsor you and, and send you on a sandwich course to UNSW in, in a production engineering degree. Once again, I knew I was leaving. Mm. the next year and and I, I turned around and I said, oh, look, um, I, I'm moving, I think I'm moving too quick right now mm-hmm. and I just want to stabilise where I am. But I always had that burning thing saying, well, you know, I don't have a degree. Maybe I need one. Maybe I should should do that. So it was a bit of an unfulfilled thing for me. So yep. by the time I'd started uh, settling down, at, at ISIS, I thought now's now's the time to to pursue it. Yeah. Yeah. So what were the uh, so obviously you you you're the managing director of your own business now. Obviously working your way through the ranks at at, at ISIS now, now known as Ship. What was the real motivation behind saying you know what I'm I'm going to set this up myself? You know that because it takes a it takes a lot of a uh, lot of guts to do that. 
Yeah, look, uh, it's funny the way things work out. I I couldn't see myself actually leaving ISIS, to be honest with you. It was, uh, I was very happy there. I was the, uh, I'd eventually become the state manager, running the biggest business unit in the business Mm -hmm. at the time, had grown the business significantly. I'm not taking all the credit for it, don't get me wrong, but the business had grown, the New South Wales business had grown the time I took it over. I think we were doing about 30, 35 million turnover. At, by the end of my time as a state manager, we were doing about 100 million turnover. The staff had grown up to about 65 staff. We had about another 60 or so at the casino, which were pretty much the core of that crew were, were my guys that had gone over there to run that job. Mm-hmm. It, it, was, it was all beautiful. GFC came along, sort of gave the market a whole shake-up. So from going from... Yeah, almost a hundred million one year down to like forty three or forty five the following year gave the owners and and the board a, a bit of a shake up in terms of okay what happens now yeah there was a lot of fat in the business in terms of business units yep. so they decided they needed to amalgamate the the business units into one and get into construction. The board decided at that time that uh, I probably wasn't the best person to to lead that business into the construction business, mm-hmm. which is fair enough. I probably wasn't. Yeah. Um, and, and I moved sideways. But then what happens when when you've got change in the business and you've got new people coming into to the business? Uh, quite often, there's I'm trying to be tactful here. Things don't gel. Things don't mix. And and after a, a little while, myself and my three partners. Who had also three of them had also been there for close to eighteen years. Got together and said, "Look, this just isn't for us anymore. Mm-hmm. What are we going to do?" So we got together over a few beers, mapped that out on the back of a beer coaster. Like it, <laughs> and uh, we all resigned within about a week of each other mm-hmm. in December two two thousand eleven. Decided on a business name and registered the business in January. Opened the doors in February, and that was it. We started started graphite. Awesome. Yeah. I, lo- I love how um, I love hearing how the, the stories of, of businesses are, are founded. Because you know, I, I, I go, I, I sort of make a correlation. You know, like you take you take a big risk to do that. You know, and you think about like your family you know, make, taking a big risk to move the whole way over to Australia. There's something about like an immigrant mentality. You know, just to, sometimes just to go out and say, you know what, we, we I can we can make this work. You know. What were those first few months, first few years like like for you? New, new business, 2011, what, yep. what were they like? Yeah, it's interesting because um, between our, our time at, at ISIS and I guess having completed the Master Management degree, I, I kind of felt like I knew what to do and the skills that I didn't have, my partners had as well. So we complemented each other very well. Yep. So yeah, it was a risk, but it was a calculated one. Yep. We we set up the business. We we then got in contact with the right people. You know, your accountant, your lawyer, uh, the business banker, and put the structure into place. Uh, put our systems into place. Cost management system into place. We put the bones of the business in place really well. We invested yep. in that. And then the next part, and the most challenging part, was going out there and getting work in the door. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people wanted to know what had happened. A lot of the, a lot of the industry thought, "Well, wow, what's going on?" Four senior guys have just walked out of that business, so it was an easy phone call to make saying, "Can we catch up?" And it was like, "Yeah, definitely," because a lot of people just wanted to know what had happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is difficult, you know, making making those first few phone calls. Or there is always a little a level of intrigue with clients, you know. For for you, when you were going out, knocking on the door, bringing in new business, you know, can, can you remember your, your your first client that you you brought on or, yeah, or yeah, first customer? Yeah, absolutely. Actually, I, I didn't even go chasing this one. I, I got a phone call from a guy. He won't mind me saying his name. His name is Colin Ging. Mm-hmm. Colin Ging and Partners were, were one of the big PM firms in town at the time. Sorry, they'd actually sold to Savills, mm-hmm. but Colin is a bit of a stalwart in the construction industry in New South Wales. And he and his partner had a small office in North Sydney, which just happened to be behind 
where we had based ourselves. Mm-hmm. And he said, look, Joe, he said, I just need to do some make good, tidy the place up, et cetera, et cetera. Can you help out? I said, yeah, absolutely. And that was our first job. And uh, I'll tell the story that we didn't want to put any profit on the job because I knew Colin pretty well and thought, oh, we can't charge any profit on this. But he had a couple of parking spots in the building downstairs. So he said, look, we won't, we won't charge any profit. But uh, how about those parking spots, you know? Yeah. And until you until you release the joint, and he, he said, "Yeah, yeah, okay." So we ended up having free parking in North Sydney oh, for about nice. eight for about eighteen months, which was um, a lot more than what we we would have made out of the job. So it kind of worked well for everyone. Oh, that's beautiful! Tell you what, there, you can't put a price on a on a on a parking space, right. especially if it's close to your building. Jeez. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and look, but beyond that, I mean, then sort of knocked on a few doors. Most people were quite receptive, especially for the, the smaller projects. They'd say, yeah, look, we'll give you a go, price this or, or price that. And we had a few wins early and, and, and got rolling. Mm-hmm. And then the job started to grow from a $40,000 job to a $100,000 job to a $400,000 job. And next thing you know, we crack our first million-dollar job. And it's like, wow, you know, how good is this? This is it's all happening. And then we eventually started to, to be able to take a salary as well. Yeah, um, which uh, we couldn't do for the first six or seven months because we we kept putting the money back in the business. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was interesting times, but uh, they were good times as well. Moving on from th- those early sort of, sort of days, what was it like, sort of going about setting up a team, you know, and, and driving the, the 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 culture and, and putting the the graphite stamp on on things? The four of us are pretty well in sync mm-hmm. in, in terms of what we wanted out of the business. And the way we wanted the business to look and feel. And it was very much similar to the early days at ISIS, to be honest with you. The original founders were were just such good people and yep. uh, created a culture that you really wanted to work there. Mm-hmm. And we thought, well, that that's what we wanted and that's what we were going to do. It's going to be a family culture. We, we didn't want to be the biggest organisation in Sydney and we, we never will be but we certainly wanted to, to be the best place to work. So that was the focus, bringing on people that thought like us, that felt like us, that delivered like us, that had the same customer service mentality and, and trying to propagate the business that way. And, look, we haven't, we haven't got it right every time. We've had a few failures on the way. Some of those failures, we need to put our hand up and, and take blame. But in the main... It's been it's been great. As our unplanned staff turnover has been negligible. Mm-hmm. COVID has given everybody a bit of a slap around. You know, the team's been really tight, and we've got a we've got a pretty good dedicated team. I've got to say, that's awesome. That's awesome. I think you you you've always got to. I believe you've got to go through adversity to grow. Sometimes you know sure. you've got to go through those challenging projects. You've got to go through. Maybe losing a person that you, you didn't want to lose, you yeah. know, just to really streamline your business moving forward and, and making sure that you, that doesn't happen again, you know. Yeah. And when you do lose that person that you didn't want to lose, I think you got to look at it and go, okay, what could we have done better? Yeah. You know, what could we have done better? Why is that person moving on? There's got to be a reason. Yeah. So, so sometimes it's just out and out money. And it's like, okay, well, if you're going to chase the money, then you're probably not the right person here anyway. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it might have been something we could have done a little bit better as well. So it makes you sort of refocus your your energies around that. Mm-hmm. But look, that is by far the exception. Generally, given to that. But when you're when you're looking to to hire someone, Joe, like what what are the characteristics that you're always looking out for? You know. Oh, mate, look, I'll, I'll tell you what. Sometimes it's hard to get it out of an interview or two, but. Yeah. You know, when you, when you get a CV across the table and you looked at it and you see that uh, this person has been captain of the soccer team or the tennis team or the netball team and they've got some extracurricular uh, activities that they're showing leadership in and then they, they come in and they're articulate mm-hmm. and well-presented and you go, yeah, that's the sort of person I know that is going to be a good ambassador for graphite. Yeah. Um, and, and obviously, go along with that is the academic achievement, mm-hmm. which is always in, isn't everything, but obviously, you know, they've got to be 
really smart, I guess. Yep. So, yeah, looking for, for intellect, mm-hmm. for um, previous signs of leadership, mm-hmm. well presented, and, yeah, once again, just articulate and able to present themselves. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think I think those little intangible things that you mentioned, you know, like um, extracurricular is, is, is nearly as important or more important in many ways because you you see the you see the, the the personality and the character of that individual you know you know like one of the guys that I have working here at this business he's um you know done done a lot of stuff in in soccer out in the states and stuff like that and that was one of the real drivers for me to say you know someone who isn't got home every day just watching Netflix but are actually out yeah, you know want to want to challenge themselves want to win things you know like that, that's so important yeah, a bit of bit of drive, you know, a bit of drive, a bit of energy, a bit of get up and go, a bit of initiative. You know, look, we had a young guy who came for an interview. He was only twenty. He was uh, a Liberian mm-hmm. uh, uh, by descent. He came in for an interview. He was he was a little bit shy, mm-hmm. but uh, he, he played for at first first elevens or whatever it was, and and we got chatting and. He'd flown over from Perth. Oh, really? For some, just to track down a job. At 20 years of age, he just jumped, jumped on a plane, giving himself two weeks to find a job. And I thought to myself, you know what? You've got that sort of drive. Well, I'm going to give you a go. And then we found up a referee, and the referee said, you look a really good young kid. I mean, green as a cucumber, let's face yeah. it, at 20. Yeah. And to be honest, first few months, we didn't think he was going to make it. He just... Mm-hmm. It just didn't seem to get it. And then I changed him around with a few different people and then it clicked mm. and it, he blossomed. Yeah. Uh, and it ended up being a really good employee. Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, his mum moved down to Melbourne and he wanted to follow his mum down, so he left. But it was great, great to see a young person coming into the business, mm-hmm. develop, blossom, and then move on. Even, even though we, uh, we, we lost that time we put into him, it's just fairly rewarding to see to make a difference in someone's life as well absolutely because there's you know what there's plenty of people wouldn't give given him an opportunity and, and taught him the ins and outs of construction and the systems and the processes and i always think getting that first go getting that first opportunity sets you up sets you up for life you know that's why yeah. i'm a big i'm a big advocator of what you do for for part-time work as well can can, can really sort of shape your mentality and what, what actually ends up happening in the rest of your career for example, I was speaking to someone last week, started in customer service and is now managing, working in, yeah. in construction, managing yeah. an account for one of the biggest retailers, you know? Yep. Yep. So you, you just don't know. Obviously, you, you've got a lot going on, you know, at the moment. How, how do you deal with all the, the pressures and, and, and the different sort of um, ups and downs of construction? Obviously, it's a, it's a really stressful job and there's a lot of talk about mental health and burnout and fatigue and stuff like that. Joe, what, like, how do you deal with that? Personally, I'm, I'm, I think I handle it pretty well because I'm, I'm not a, uh, how do I say it, I measure very low on my neurotic scale. I, I'm pretty chill most of the time. Not a lot gets me sort of upset, deal with most things, and that, that, that's a plus. Plus, you know, as I said, I've got three partners in the business, so we, we're there for each other all the time. And we bounce things off each other. And getting through COVID, you know, we'd, we'd meet every second week and, you know, really crunch the numbers and forecast and what are, what are we doing, what decisions we'd need to make. So it wasn't all on my shoulders, you know. We, yeah. we share the load. Uh, so that's really good. One thing I don't do, I don't take anything home with me. Yep. I leave it at the door when I leave. Obviously, you get the phone calls here and there, but I don't go home and, and tell my wife about what's going on at work. And, and sometimes I'll get in trouble for that because when we're out with a group of friends or whatever and one of my close mates, they, they might ask me and then I'll tell them stuff. And then my wife will say, you didn't tell me that. And I'll go, yeah, well, I don't like bringing my work home, you know. I just like to leave it at the door because you can always deal with it the next day. There's nothing so pressing about what we do that can't wait generally yeah. or have someone else to share the load with. The other bit about mental health in our industry, I've got to say, I've, I've taken a bit of interest in it at a very high level, uh, just to see, you know, is there a problem in construction? And when you read the literature, 
you know, and I don't want to make light of it at all in any way, shape or form, because I've had people close to me in my family that have had some mental health sort of challenges as well. But when you look at our industry, it's, it's, it is male-dominated, rightly or wrongly, particularly, yeah. at the tra- particularly at the trade level. Most of the stats that, you know, from mates in construction indicate that the people at risk are like a blue-collar background, low socioeconomic, low educational background, and there's not many barriers to entry in our industry at that level. Yeah. 75% of suicides and mental health issues are are men. Mm -hmm. Then you've got a male-dominated industry. Then you've got this this whole perfect storm. Yeah, I know Um, know what you mean. Like it's kind of the the statistics could be skewed because there's – yeah, look, I guess they are what they are, but it, it doesn't shed a very good light on construction. But I think yeah. the focus needs to be where the problem is and, and be aware of when you've got a young guy on site who, who looks like he might be struggling and having that conversation, are you okay, mate? You know, um, how's everything? You know, sometimes we get, we get guys that that aren't performing well or they're having a few bad weeks and, and you know, the... I guess the easy thing is to say, mate, you're not doing your job right. What's going on? You know, why, aren't you, why aren't you have done this right? But then when you sit down and you say, hey, mate, it's everything okay? What, what's going on? I've noticed you've been a little bit off colour, mate. Is everything okay? Mm. Is everything okay at home? Oh, well, by the way, I just broke up with my girlfriend. Mm. Yeah, I yeah. didn't tell anyone. Yeah. So it's easy to look at the problem, but I think that the more we can sort of actually genuinely care about what's going on and ask the question, mate, is everything all right? Yeah, it's about What's the happening? it's about the person, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it's totally. about the it, it's about the individual, and yeah. and and I think it's 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 sometimes it's quite difficult. I I think you know when you're maybe a little bit far back from that, you know, where your 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 direct reports might be, you know, the the PMs or or or, or whoever it might be. But it's it's the it's the direct hiring managers of the of anyone should really just take it upon themselves just to yeah. ask the question and sometimes it's just taking them out for a coffee at, at Smoko or, or something like that then it's just seeing yeah. how things are going you know because yeah. we never know absolutely mate and look um, I mentioned that yeah, my mum passed away last year it was a really tough time for for a number of reasons but I had a couple of really good mates, and I, I don't think they even realised that they were doing it. But I was getting a phone call every day or two, saying, "Mate, how are you going? Everything yeah. all right? Are you okay?" Da da da. And, and I thought, shit, like somebody, somebody cares. No. <laughs> yeah, somebody, somebody's got my interests at heart, you know, and it, it sort of gives you a little bit of strength as well. Yeah. Um. So I think, uh, yeah, just taking an interest in in people, particularly young people, if they're having a bad day. Uh, or having a bad week, maybe it's not because they don't like the job. Maybe because they've got something going on in the background, yeah. And it doesn't hurt to to have a bit of interest and in, and in ask the question. I would I would imagine, you know, nine times out of ten, if if, if someone's not performing as, as well as they normally do, and and they seem a bit off, there probably is something going on, you know. Yeah. And we're we're only ever seeing the tip of the iceberg. It's what's what's actually underneath that yeah. is 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 where is where the the issues or the struggle might lie, you know. But there's some there's some great initiatives out there. You know, the guys at Trademark they're doing some amazing things. You see the 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 the, the mates in construction are, are doing great. It's just I think it's just about speaking up sometimes. You know, yeah, yeah. and taking the time. It's not taking easy. Taking the time to listen. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So, um, I, I was coming towards the the end of the the show now, Joe. You know, like what keeps you motivated to keep going on? You know, what keeps you Inspired? Yeah, that's a good question, mate. I, I ask myself that sometimes as well, because you know, you, <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, you know, you have a a year like COVID, and you have a few unsuccessful tenders, and things don't go your way, and you think, oh, sometimes you think to yourself, what? Why am I doing this, mate? Like, do I really need to be doing? It? I'm at that stage of my life that maybe I do take taking a step back, sort of thing. And I, I love the thought of having our own brand out there that yeah. we, we created from nothing and it's a, it's a respectful brand and we're competing against the big boys around town yeah. and giving them a bit of a shake-up every now and then. 
and we get slapped around every now and then, but that's okay too. Yeah. And then I, then I look at our staff and how they're developing, and and I guess yeah, that keeps me going, mate. I, I, I really enjoy that. Yep. Um. So yeah, it's just a combination of things, and and look, I've I've always been fairly driven anyway. Yep. I think to 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 want to try and succeed, and so I just sort of. At retirement as well, like I was, someone messaged me this morning saying, I'm retiring in two weeks, but I'll reach out to you in four or five months and let you know how it's going. Because <laughs> it's, a, it's a scary place for many people, especially if you are if you don't have any hobbies. Yeah, that is, couldn't have said it better, mate. We uh, had a bit of time off during the COVID, we had a, a couple of long weekends away and I came back and it was it was a Monday morning or whatever it was. And I'm just sort of staring out there and my wife said, you're, you're bored. <laughs> and I said, said, yeah, I am. And she goes, you, you can't retire. Yeah. Because you better find a hobby first, you know. Yeah. And, and that's the thing, you know, you, you, like you just said, you know, you kind of need a hobby. You need something, to, you need that purpose to get you out of bed yep. and, and keep you going. Otherwise, yep. you, you kind of just wither away. My mother passed away when I was 22 unexpectedly, and my, my dad stopped working. Well, he, 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 he still did some part time work, but he was a, he's always been a plumber. And he hadn't been doing anything up until last year, and he started plumbing again. And his, he, he, I tell you what, he's a different person. And that's, yeah. I think that's part of the reason why he's so motivated to go out and you know walk, doing the walks and keeping fit and and stuff like that. And work is good for the soul, I think. You know, absolutely, mate. Yeah, sense of purpose, mate. Sense of purpose is all about what it's all about. That, that's it. So there's just a couple of quick fire fire questions to to, to finish up, mate. So. If you could change one thing about construction, what 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 would it be? What would be your your one thing? Oh, look, there's probably two things. I'll be honest with you. One one is the unreasonable contracts that pay people expect you to sign. Yep. Um, it, it's like seriously, you look at some of these contracts and you think you shouldn't even be allowed to present it. And and most lawyers that put them together wouldn't let their own clients sign them. Yeah. So that's number one. Number two is a bit of a race to the bottom mentality, but that that is what it is, you know. But yeah, I think one thing straight up would be silly contracting. Yeah. Oh, it's a it's a it's a big issue, and I've been speaking to a lot of tier tier one, tier two contractors who have just been locked in legal matters for months and months and months. And it's not and and anyone listening to this who might not even be in construction, it doesn't help the people who need to use these buildings and. Railway stations, it's 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 we're not getting anywhere. Yeah, yeah. And um, so, what what book or film has changed your your view on the world, Joe? Oh, gee whiz, mate! I I I I actually have read a lot of books. To be honest with you, I and I've got a lot of half-read ones as well. But <laughs> um, some books that really, I won't say changed my view of the world, but they've certainly sort of added to my world view, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yep. Standout book, you know, sounds a bit corny, but uh, how to win friends and influence people. Great uh, book. It's, it's probably not, not not the best title because it almost sounds a little bit sort of disingenuous. But uh, it's a really good book. It should be called uh, How to Improve Your Interpersonal Skills. Yeah, you know, and get on with people. Uh, yep. Great book. Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Great book. One I, I sort of almost at the end of is a book called Sapiens. Is that uh, has that come out recently? Oh, no, it's been there for a couple of years. Yeah. Um, but it's a, a, a brief history of humankind and it just talks about the development of, of, of humans uh, over the millennia. Very, very interesting, and particularly the, the latter parts of the book that I'm reading now and just in terms of what, what we're doing to to the world, what mm-hmm. we're doing to to our – and I'm, I'm, I'm no granny by any stretch of the imagination but what we're doing to our environment and what we're yep. doing to animals. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a bit of a, bit of an eye-opener. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think some some of those books you've listed there are fantastic. Big big fan of uh, how to win friends and influence people. I picked it up thinking, oh, this does sound a bit cheesy, but I'll give it a go. And then you start reading it, and the yeah. value the value that it adds. I think about that stuff every day. No, it's brilliant. And I'll tell you, there's a couple of other. I like autobiographies. One yep. of the first books that uh, really made an impact on me was uh, autobiography of Lee Iacocca. I don't oh, yeah. know if you know who that is. He's the uh, he was the uh, president of the Ford Motor Company. Oh right! Uh, went off to to uh, I guess salvage Chrysler when they were going through the turmoil, 
And one of the things I still remember really clearly in that book, you know, and I, I look at some of the different people in the business today that do well and some that don't. And th there was a bit in the book there who said uh, he, he, he was surrounded by people that were smarter than him, mm -hmm. better educated than him, and, and had been there longer than him, mm -hmm. but he was getting promoted. Yep. And what it came down to is that a lot of these people that were smarter, et cetera, couldn't get on with people. Yeah. And he tagged a line that I think if you wanna if you wanna get on, you gotta get along. So yeah, it's just sort of look at that and and uh, and I think that's sort of been a blessing to me in some ways that <laughs> that I read that back then. Yep. And and then I've been focused on that because I have been surrounded by smarter people, mm -hmm. uh, more experienced people, and I've, I've managed to sort of calm my way through. And you look at it and go, well, on paper, it may have not been the smartest choice, but some of those people haven't been able to get on with their peers. Mm -hmm. And you're not going to get promoted if you don't get on with your peers. 100%. Um, yeah. And if you do, you're going to fail. Couldn't agree more. Absolutely. 100% yeah. agree with that. Last question to, to finish off the uh, finish off the show. Joe, you've been a great guest, but what is a one thing or what, what are you looking forward to within construction? Oh, <laughs> probably, probably, I won't say retirement, I'll say semi-retirement. Yeah. Um, but uh, in terms of constructing and, and look, it, just to put it in perspective, we're, we're a very small part of the construction industry. We're a little little niche operation within the construction industry to specialising fit-out and refurb. But getting it to the point where COVID is, is a distant memory yeah. and some, some degree of normality back into what we do, that's what I'm most looking forward to. And, oh, uh, yeah. I think that will breathe a, a breath of fresh air into the industry when that's uh, something that that was a, a few years ago. You know, I can't wait for that. Yeah, and I think, uh, and I, I know I'm not alone in, in that as well. I mean, everybody's in the same boat. So, yeah. yeah. Well, Joe, uh, honestly, you've been a fantastic guest, and and thanks for taking taking time out of your out of your day to do this. And um, add so much value to to the people listening. And right. uh, thanks for being so honest and and, and telling uh -huh. us your story. Thank you, mate. Appreciate it, Mick, and I've enjoyed it as well. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Measured with me, Mick Donaghy. Our goal with this podcast is to create a community of construction professionals from a variety of backgrounds and experiences to develop, learn, and grow together. As a business, our aim with Franklin Smith is to become the most respected pre-construction and quantity surveying recruitment agency in Australia within the next five years. Thereafter, our goal is to build a 100-year company that outlives us as owners, but lives on in the careers and legacy projects we recruit for. Listening to this podcast is being a small part of that journey, and we are forever thankful for your time. If you'd like to connect further with our ever-growing community, check out the Measured Facebook and LinkedIn pages. Thanks for listening to Measured. Catch you next time.